welcome, friends. This is Historical AF. I'm Keenan. And I'm Alex. And Christy. From Weird Distractions Podcast. We Love are it. two podcasts here to deliver some weird and random nuggets you never knew you needed in your ear holes. This is Spies Part 3. I'm so excited you guys are here. So pumped. This is the first time we've A, been recording live, and B, I think this is our third collab. Yeah, we haven't done many. We haven't done many, so this oh, is exciting. Yay. So glad you're here, and nobody could do weird better than Weird Distractions Podcast. Well, literally in your name. I hope we live up to the title. <laughs> you're like, don't make the bar too high. <laughs> Bring it no back down. No worthy bar. <laughs> Please don't hate us. Yeah. <laughs> well, tell everybody about yourselves and your podcast. All right. Well, we are two best friends from Ontario, Canada. We mm-hmm. both work in healthcare and. In the beginning of the good old panorama, we were overwhelmed with work, but needed something to do and something to kind of keep us interacting without falling into a deep depression. Yes. (laughs) So one day I, I've been wanting to start a podcast for a long time. So one day I just texted Christy. I was like, so would you start a podcast with me? This is what, you know, I was thinking we could talk about because we both love true crime. Mm -hmm. Christy tolerates my paranormal shit and we both think (laughs) are fun. So like, I was like, "Uh, okay. And that's kind of how it started. So we are a weekly podcast that chats about true crime, conspiracy theories, paranormal stories, folklore, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And our hope is that in talking about certain cases or certain topics, we bring a distraction from everyday life, whether you're you know bored out of your mind because COVID <laughs> or yeah. you, know, you are going through a shitty breakup and you need to laugh because we try to laugh. Funny. We try to be funny. Try to be funny. <laughs> or you just want someone to tell you a story of something to distract mm-hmm. yourself from whatever is going on. And, you know, that's that's been what we're doing. It's been a year of us so it's far. It's been a year. So, yeah, we've been doing this now for a year. And I feel like we just keep getting more weird and awkward and hopefully better. Yeah. Speak in my language with weird and awkward. That You're my people. <laughs> Wait, we tend to all group together, I find. Mm-hmm. We've made I a couple of... Of mutual friends are like, yeah, I'm really awkward in person. You know, I really would love to meet you in person, but I'm really awkward. It's like, same. I over talk or overshare when I'm awkward. So that's always fun. A thousand percent. I'm sure there's going to be like a more traumatic events coming out as the night goes on. <laughs> Counting on it. This yeah. Live. <laughs> At one point, someone's going to say something and we'll just, you know, word vomit. <laughs> that's why we have a podcast. <laughs> But yeah, as Nick said in the comments, weird attracts weird. So I, I think that's fun also how all of this podcast gravitate towards each other. Just a bunch of weirdos that like weird shit. Exactly. Love talking weird shit. Love learning about weird shit. No, your podcast is such a good idea. And it came at the perfect time because life, life is a struggle. It's just all aspects. You know, we chatted a little bit before we started recording about all the things happening in our respective countries and it's, it's yes. stressful you know it's, it's very stressful and just yeah living yeah. <laughs> living yeah and i think like you said the panorama has taught us all that we need something to check out just a little bit to have a breather mm-hmm. so a distraction yeah. is so so nice very needed big question what do you feel about letter kenny because i think it's hilarious <laughs> how so- canadian are you on a letter kenny scale <laughs> so how are you now <laughs> letter kenny was actually i think the concept of it or the creation of it happened in a town called listowel which is about what like 
50 minutes away from us. Yeah. From here. Mm-hmm. So we're pretty letter Kitty. It's funny <laughs> though because I don't watch the show. Neither do I. <laughs> but I, I know, I, like, we know what it is. You yeah. see enough <laughs> clips online that's like, yeah, you don't really need to watch it, but it's it's just so fucking good. You have to watch it. Yeah. It's funny because my husband is from Wisconsin, but he's way up there, the very tip, yeah. basically Canada. So More he like- gets all these jokes that I don't get because I'm Southern. So I'm like, this must be how you feel when you watch all this Southern shit. And you're like, what are they saying? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, how do you not understand that? So yeah, it's a cultural divide, if you will. Very much so. And that's, I I have such a desire to travel throughout the States, which is kind of weird being, you know, Canadian, I guess, because a lot of times people are like, no, it's okay. We'll just stay here, whatever. But I'm like, I would love to go to every single state because Every state just seems like its own country. Whereas in Canada, you like, I mean, obviously we're divided and there's different cultural aspects of mm-hmm. it, but there's Tim Hortons in every fucking province. So it's, it's <laughs> borderline the same everywhere. So, you know, it's, yeah, the states just yeah. seem so much more interesting than Canada. I don't know why. To yeah. me, the, the cultural differences are crazy. Arkansas is really interesting. And I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before. There's a geographical cut in half of the state. So the top half yeah. are the, what you would call a hillbilly, where I'm from. Yeah. We're more Ozark, like southern Missouri. And right. everything's different. Our accents, culture. And then southern Arkansas is the flatlanders. <laughs> They're going to hate that I say that. But it's mostly, it's mostly all the agriculture. So that's the country's biggest rice production is in Arkansas. Okay. So we're two different places and, and we're all the same people, but it's, it's really interesting. And then moving to Texas has been like this whole new thing because it's such a conglomeration of, it's just so many different cultures. Because where I live, it's a very German area. Okay. Which you wouldn't expect, which I didn't expect when I moved here. But then you also have the Mexican culture and it's just right. so yeah. cool. That's so fascinating. Yeah. And yeah. it's like where we're from in Ontario, it's kind of all just small town shit everywhere you go. We're basically like an episode of Letter Caddy minus we don't wear as much plaid. And it's interesting, but then you have to drive what two, three hours to go to Toronto, where I feel like that's where like more of like the culture, yeah, the different cultures are. Whereas where we're diversity. from, it's a bunch of white bread folks that <laughs> do the same shit every fucking day. So yeah, it, it's it's interesting, and you know, I another big lead towards going to travel to the states is y'all got a bunch of haunted stuff, like so Ew. much. Haunted stuff. Oh, I, go I mean, you guys got Bigfoot. They call them up there. <laughs> uh, oh gosh, because we have like a blonde Bigfoot apparently yeah. somewhere in DC or in, something. In the cold, there. in the cold, is he a Yeti? In oh, the cold? yeah, the the Yeti, the yeah. the snowman. Yeah, I. <laughs> Although we have those here too, I guess. So you know, I... they're everywhere. Let's be real. <laughs> yeah, in Florida, they call him a skunk ape. <laughs> I okay, because I wanted to cover the skunk, skunk ape in one episode, and I was like. Do I really want to do this? Because it's basically just Bigfoot, which is also the Yeti, which is also this. So I feel like it's going to be like a two-hour episode of just the different variations, right? Yeah, and he's all over the world. But yeah, the haunted stuff is super cool. And we have some of the biggies, like Stanley Hotel, where he wrote The Shining. Waverly Hills. Yeah. 
Crescent Hotel. You've got yeah. uh, oh the Winchester God. Mansion. Winchester yes. Mansion, LaLori Mansion. Oh, yeah. Louisiana, the entire state is just haunted. <laughs> and it just seems like there's so many different hotspots. Whereas in Canada, we have, mm-hmm. we have haunted shit. It's just mm-hmm. dispersed everywhere. So even yeah. like last year, we had rented a haunted Airbnb up in Penetanguishing, which is about what, two, uh, almost two hours away two from hours. us. Yeah. It just smelled like cigarettes. <laughs> it wasn't haunted. It just smelled like cigarettes the entire time. Oh no. Oh, I mean, Whereas we went to Rolling Hills Asylum in New York State. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. That was creepy. That really just amped me up. I was like, okay, More so of that is what we need. Yeah, more of that is what we need. And that was where I think I said to Christy, I really want to quit my full-time job with benefits and a pension to become a <laughs> ghost hunter. And she... I will not. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, I agree. It's my goal. If we get enough Patreon, we already have a plan. We get to a point where I can pay for it. We want to travel and do video content at haunted oh, places like hotels and stuff and do actual ghost hunt because he's skeptic. He doesn't believe in it. He thinks I'm ridiculous. But it's funny because when he gets spooked, he screams <laughs> and runs, throws me at the danger. He's out of there. But I think it would be hilarious. So that's my goal. As soon as I get to a place where you know, yeah. pay for it. We, we were going to do that. But yeah, I think it would be so fun. I like being, you know, skeptical to a point, but I really, really want to see a ghost. Well, of course. <laughs> yeah. I think at the end of the day, you just want to know that there's life after death. You know what I mean? Or like yeah. something happens where, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just lights out. See you later, right? Well, even though at Rolling yeah. Hills, you guys were like, "Oh, we see something in the hall." There was a dead ass shadow like, figure. Then looking, and I'm like, "I don't, I don't see shit." And I, I mean, was like, "I am blind, but I also can't see anything." <laughs> and they're like, "It's there," and I was like, "I cannot see it. I give up." <laughs> I don't know what you're seeing, but I'm not seeing it. But yeah, it was a shadow. It looked like a shadow figure of a boy or like of someone of small stature who was peeking around the corner. Now, I'm also very my eyes are fucked, so I could have just been seeing a shadow. And thought it was moving because I wasn't wearing my glasses. But it was it was awesome. I would highly recommend uh, going there. It's not like a massive group because that also was kind of annoying. Yes. People. I'm looking at a picture right now. Okay. I remember which one this is. Rolling Hills? Yeah. I, I have a degree in public history and my mm-hmm. specialty is insane asylums. <laughs> <laughs> Such a random thing to be I your mean- specialty, but... Say, wasn't that like your first episode was asylums? Uh, I no, we did it later on. It was one of the first ones, but it wasn't the first. But Rolling Hills is not, it's it's smaller than I thought it would be. Yeah, Yeah, it's not a Kirkbride. Kirkbrides are what I'm uh, uh, I hate saying expert. Like, okay, so technically, I am the world's only expert in the Arkansas Lunatic Asylum, which I find hilarious because somebody asked me the other day when it was built and I forgot. So I was like, I'm really good at this. <laughs> this is my life. <laughs> it was my life's work and I forgot. And I was like, that's fun for me. So I'm going to have to brush up on my own writing. Like I've literally wrote the book on it and I don't I need to, I need to finish that book because I was supposed to have it done already. But then I was like, I can't research because Corona. So yeah, just blame. That's honestly anything. Anytime I have anything pending, that needs to be done. It's like, well, the panorama. So, I mean, yeah. 
you know, I, it's going to have to, it's going to take a couple months. So yeah. Okay. I'm also thrilled that you mentioned the Crescent hotel when you were listing oh. off haunted places. Cause that's in Arkansas and I've been there. I, I want to go so badly. I think cause we covered it in episode three and I dead ass told Christy after we were done. I was like, we need to go. We need to do everywhere. We, we need go. to go every, every time we record yeah. an episode, I'm like, we need to go. Okay. If you ever go, I'll meet you and we can go yes. ghost hunting. Oh my gosh, please. Yes. It's I'm my favorite place. I, Although it's always a running joke. One of the listeners made a meme one time. You know, it's those two girls and she's holding one back and she's pointing at the cat. Mm. And she, the one, she was like, Kina, and it was like, haunt me, you fucks. And the cat's being like, no. Um, <laughs> that's how I feel. <laughs> because I paid extra to have the haunted room at the Crescent and nothing happened. And I was really? so sad. <laughs> oh my God. See, and I feel like that's what would happen to us. Yeah. Like we would pay the extra money. We would take the trip. We'd splurge and nothing would fucking happen yeah but it's the most incredible building and the ghost tour is so interesting and so well done and they had a lot of excursions they had like a afternoon tea and they had a wine tasting and we could play lawn games it was was yeah it was (laughs) it's such a cool place to go to and I just love Eureka Springs. I highly recommend it. That part of Arkansas is probably one of the most beautiful places. Yeah, it looks in, like Eureka Springs yeah. looks beautiful. Yes, I'm. We're down for it. Yes, I'm. I'm putting us down for it. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, we want to jump into the spies. Take a <laughs> sharp turn from the eerie and paranormal to the the weird and weird random. Yeah. We're gonna talk about some kind of trash. Yeah. Well, trash gadgets. Trash gadgets. Trash gadgets. <laughs> Okay, some of them were a, a mood. Some of them are <laughs> questionable, and then trash, you know. So we're going to be talking about, obviously, weird spy gadgets and kind of creations. I think mostly from the Cold War and World War II. Ooh. So the first one were British exploding rats. So back in oh. 1941. <laughs> I love topic right off the top. <laughs> It, it took me a second for it to sink in when I imagined them exploding. I was like, oh, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, it, it, we, we like to start things off really dark. So start off with a bang. <laughs> see, I'll see myself out. <laughs> this was fun. See you later. <laughs> so back in 1941, the British Special Operations Executive, also known as the SOE for those who are fancy, or if you're nasty, the SOE. <laughs> Uh, apparently they had planned to use dead rats to blow up enemy boilers back in World War II, which just, I like the creativeness, A plus for creative abilities, but it gets a little weird. So want to shed a little bit of light on the SOE because, you know, we have to talk about it. So the SOE was a secret British World War II organization and its purpose was to conduct espionage, sabotage, and recon in a Occupied Europe against the Axis. Axie powers. I almost said Axis. <laughs> English is also my first language, but it's not my greatest language. I relate so much to that. <laughs> I identify hard. <laughs> so the SOE was also referred to as Baker Street Irregulars, Churchill's mm-hmm. Secret Army, and Ministry of Ungentle Manly Welfare. Oh, so they were nasty. (laughs) Potentially. I don't know. I'm speculating wildly. So back to the rats, because that's why we're here. 
The rats apparently came from London and how the whole explosion aspect of it kind of came into play was the rats would have an explosive pencil, which was on a timer infused up their hoo-hahs. Not great. I believe they were dead at that point. So they weren't uncomfortable, but it's uncomfortable for us to talk about it. I mean, for me, I'm sweating because I'm like those poor rats. Yeah. It's not, it's not the most proud moment in history. Yeah, absolutely not. So after this timed bomb went in the butt, their plan was to place the rat bomb near a boiler in an enemy area. And essentially after some time it would blow up specifically the rat would kind of go near the coals almost into the fire of the boilers so that way it would definitively set off supposedly this was never played out by the british as the germans found out about it and kind of nipped the whole thing in the butt (laughs) but um i'm here all night surprisingly (laughs) this is not the first or the second or the third time we've talked about historical things shoved up the bum so (laughs) like at all so, same thing, we're going to keep on the SOE train. Yes. They do sneakers with false footprints. That's counterintuitive. Oh. <laughs> so, they were trying to take espionage to a new level. And basically, all they did was they had shoes, and they put false footprints on the bottom, so that it looked like those footprints. That's the big fancy. So, <laughs> Nikes. Very espionage-like. If you were wearing Nikes, no or, one would know. You were barefoot. You were always barefoot. You always looked like you just didn't have shoes. I mean, it sounds simple, but it's kind of brilliant. It is. Because then you never have to worry about people tracking you down, right? Yeah. I mean, I've watched a lot of Criminal Minds, and they do test those footprints. Very A thousand percent. You you have to. That's like part of the whole episode is checking out the footprint. That and Law and Order. So the next one is the Sleeping Beauty Canoe. So once again, the SOE, because they were busy as shit. Sounds Uh, like it. They created this motorized semi-submissible canoe, which was dubbed the Sleeping Beauty. So during World War II, Major Hugh Quinton Alini, uh, Alini, yeah, Alini Reeves was tasked to create an underwater unspecific device. So essentially, I can imagine he was given orders to create this thing and they're like, just go off with it. Be creative. You know, <laughs> the world is your oyster. Do what you will. And, you know, Hugh was probably like, fuck yeah, this is my time to shine. I'm going to prove everything <laughs> wrong. Those guys back at home, they ain't got nothing on this. I'm going to create a canoe that is some, you know, can go underwater. The name Sleeping Beauty was given as Hugh was actually found taking a nap in it. And after that, they're like, oh, the Sleeping Beauty. <laughs> like, I can't <sighs> At first, I was like, why is it called the Sleeping Beauty? Like, I don't understand. Like, it goes underwater. Why not call it something water-based? But Deadass, he took a nap in it, and they're like, ooh. And it's like, wow. Cool joke. <laughs> so the canoe was made up of mild steel and was reportedly 12 feet by 8 inches long with a 27-inch beam. The canoe was battery-operated with 6-volt batteries and apparently had a top speed of 4.4 knots, which I have no idea what that means. Oh, I do not know that either. I was going to say, is that fast? I don't know. You be the judge. Ooh, I can go to the Google. No, I'm like, I have no idea. Yeah, no. I can barely tell how fast I'm going in my car some days because I just don't look. 
Four knots is 4.6 miles per hour. What do you do in Canada? Do you do miles per hour? <laughs> kilometers. Oh, yeah. Okay. Miles per hour is like our 100 kilometers per hour. Yeah. 7.4. I don't think very fast. That's not very fast. No. Pretty sure we could walk faster than that. Probably. I'm not going to try because I get walking. winded just walking upstairs. <laughs> My exercise days are over. <laughs> Essentially, Hugh had designed the canoe to be able to carry up to three and a half pounds of explosive. So this thing was not to be fixed with, per se, despite the name, because the name just makes it sound like it's sleeping on everything. Apparently, it could hold one person at a time, although some reports claim that it could hold two in some of the designs. I don't think those designs really were used, but they existed, so to speak. Oh. A person in the canoe could control it by a joystick, which sounds Fun. That does. <laughs> Which is connected to the rudder and driving planes. The canoe would be known to be able to have quick rises to the surface, but also do shallow diving. Uh, and the Sleeping Beauty was used in the 1944 raid on the Japanese shipping in Singapore during Operation Ramu or Ramau. I'm pr- probably pronouncing that wrong. It's R I R I M A U. But it wasn't a great situation. <laughs> So these poor, these poor people come up in the Sleeping Beauties and they're trying to do this attack. And essentially the Japanese patrol found them and they're like, uh-uh, buddy, we're taking you in. So they took them in and then they just beheaded them all. You know, just quickly just escalated to death. So that's that's the Sleeping Beauty. Something. It did. It didn't really last long. Not a long nap, that one. Just a quick one. <laughs> This punny one over here. I try so hard. Okay, next we're going to go into the acoustic kitty. That's what this one's called. I feel like I have all the animal ones. You do. (laughs) Back in the 1960s, the CIA had a project involving a cat where, trigger warning, don't get attached to this cat. Don't get attached to it. It dies. Because I love cats. So the feline-friendly project was used so the cat could spy on the Kremlin and the Soviet embassies. So how it worked was they chose a cat, the cat had to go under surgery, and they put in a microphone that was implanted in his ear canal, which is sad, a little radio transmitter in the base of his skull, which just makes my heart break. Yeah. (laughs) And the first mission was for the cat was to eavesdrop on two men in a park outside of the Soviet compound in Washington, D.C., but according to the Mirror website article, the cat was hit by a taxi before it even got to the job. It's almost like a typical Disney or Pixar movie where they introduce this animal and you get so attached to it. And then all of a sudden, like the last scene gets killed and yeah. everyone's crying and it's miserable and just, uh, it's, yeah. too sad. it's just too sad. Nick in the comments, he actually guessed it on part one. He actually works in uh, spy shit. And he, he says that it's a misconception that the cat did live according really? to the yeah, top he said cat ran off no taxi. So mm-hmm. a little bit of a conspiracy theory. Yeah. He, the legend has it. He could have lived to be an old kitty. The optimist in me hopes for that as well. And also he, Rayma. Okay, so it was Rayma, not Rima. Speaking of animals. So the next one, <laughs> it's interesting. So this is 
called Project Pigeon slash Orcon. So American psychologist and big energy behind behaviorism, Mr. B.S. Skinner, if you heard Oh, him. wow. Yeah, he's a trip. <laughs> Literally my entire undergrad was B.F. Skinner, Karl Marx, Freud. I Same, same. I have a B.S. in psychology, which I find fun. <laughs> Apparently B.F. Skinner was really into the idea of pigeons existing, so to speak. So he wanted to try and get a pigeon-guided missile going during World War II. Yeah. He he was a dreamer. <laughs> Gotta give it up to the dreamer. During World War II, pigeons were apparently trained by Skinner to peck at a target, which then, if they did correctly, they'd be rewarded with food. When Skinner went on to create a missile that would carry said pigeons and allow them to be able to look through the window to see their target, I wish I was making this up, but I'm not, guys. I found out how <laughs> the birds work for the bourgeoisie. Anyway. Have, have you seen that TikTok where it's all like, walk in fast, something fast. I'm a pigeon, go fuck yourself. <laughs> I've seen the one where it's like, ah, something about anxiety. Like, walk in fast, my anxiety side. Like, something like that. It's like, yeah, I identify with I, I think yeah. anxious TikToks. Oh, yeah. There's just one of a pigeon. And it's just like, I'm a pigeon, go fuck yourself. <laughs> It makes me laugh every time somebody uses that song. (laughs) If you you find it, can you please send it to us? I will. I will. I sent it to my husband yesterday. So it is fresh on my phone. Beautiful. Beautiful. So the pigeons. (laughs) So the pigeons apparently had a metal conductor connected to the beak. When they would see the target through the window, they would begin pecking toward it, which would then kind of control the missile's tail fins. According to Skinner, during the prelim test, the birds were nearly perfect. Nearly. I just want to hear about the one incident that like really fucked up where you could say, oh, it was perfect. Uh, <laughs> their accuracy was basically on point. Mm-hmm. Just don't look at the fine details. <laughs> According to this whole thing, Skinner had also conditioned the pigeons to warlike states such as hearing gunshots, bright flashes, and more. He was essentially getting them ready to be in the heart of the war. Just pre-traumatizing them for the trauma they were going to get in while they were at war. But according to the article called Pigeons, Operant Conditioning and Social Control by Audrey Waters or Waiters, the military canceled and revived Project Pigeon, but it would never be used in actual combat. So they spent a shit ton of money on it. Didn't actually fly. I know I'm so bad tonight. Oh, that's so good. I will jump into the next one. Do it, pigeons. (laughs) Done with that one. This one is the dog poop transmitter. (laughs) So, in the 1970s, the CIA disguised a radio transmitter to appear as poop. It was left outside, so you'd think it'd be normal. Poop left out there, whatever. Yeah, (laughs) shit laying around. (laughs) Yeah, it was a pickup or dog shit or whatever. It happens. And the transmitter was designed to try and coordinate airstrikes and different recons. And that's it. Don't think it's used anymore. Yeah. I think they flushed that one down the toilet. We're back to pigeons. Back on our pigeon bullshit. So (laughs) this one is the German pigeon camera. So common theme here with pigeons. I guess they were targets for everything and anything. And there's just so many of them. There's so many. I mean, why not traumatize an entire species? I mean, we do it to humans all the time. So... (laughs) Might as well shoot to pigeons, I guess. So during World War I, 
Germany reportedly would attach self-timed cameras on pigeons and release them over battlegrounds to try and photograph their enemies. So kind of like the first selfie stick. But instead it was like selfie bird, selfie pigeon, depending. I don't know. Uh, we'll workshop it. <laughs> we'll talk after the recording and we'll figure it out. The, the photos would be apparently returned and processed in real time. The quality of the photo, I think, is questionable i couldn't find any photos either so if it's not online it's not real <laughs> pixar it didn't happen yeah pixar didn't happen okay we're gonna leave animals for a minute <laughs> we're gonna go to the tree stump listening device Ooh. oh so the cia designed fake tree stumps and try to intercept radio transmissions for the soviets so the device which is reportedly solar powered was created in the 1970s so it's just in these tree stumps just chilling outside Catching all these transmissions. Wow. I guess you wouldn't suspect a random tree stump unless it looked yeah. super fake. Well, unless it was like a person, like I picture like a kid in like a tree stump costume, like a, <laughs> just like sitting outside being like, don't worry about it. Mind your business. Mind, you can't see me. <laughs> Look away. <laughs> Make my way downtown. So the next one is the explosive water canteen. So during World War II, apparently some U.S. Army intelligence officials carried what looked like a canteen, but was also a bomb. The bomb, which was located in the lower portion of the container, must not have been necessarily worth continuously funding, as I wasn't able to find any further research but it looks like it apparently i think it was used between 1942 and 1945 so it had it had its time it it had its moment it dried up eventually but uh the puns the puns are phenomenal i'm usually usually terrible i'm usually awful (laughs) on fire god i'm so fucking sweaty (laughs) all right now we have the hand carb seal so in the 1960s, the U.S. ambassador in Russia received a hand-carved wooden replica for a great seal by a group of Soviet school children. Never trust a child. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> always the children. It's always the children. <laughs> the ambassador allegedly had this hung in his office for years until technicians discovered that it was a small listening device in the sculpture the whole time. <laughs> Apparently, the device didn't require batteries or have any wires. The air to filter surrounding the cavities maintained its function. And it had stuff going through its tiny holes. So I was listening all along. No one knew. No one oh. knew. Never trust a Russian child or a child in general. Just in general. <laughs> Very shady people. Next is the cyanide glasses. Well, oh, yeah. short and sweet ones. So during World War II, glasses were created with little compartments so that undercover spies could hide cyanide pills as a last ditch effort to avoid capture from others. So it's kind of like how you see in the movies where. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of disclosing any information to stay alive, even though they get killed anyways, they would take the cyanide pill and be like, fuck you, I'm taking this to the grave. You know, so according to the Wired website article, the spy could chew on the arm of the glasses to get the cyanide. So they just, you know, start gnawing on it as the... I mean, I know it's not funny because they die, but the idea of just somebody gnawing on their glasses. Just like imagining like a grown person... You know, going yeah, at rip it. them off my face. Oh, I actually want to them. <laughs> Let me show you dramatic reenactment. No cyanide in this one. No. Could you imagine mm. if you actually put cyanide in your glasses by accident? Please save me. <laughs> I don't know how. I can barely save myself. That's a lot of responsibility to <laughs> ask. <laughs> Fine, whatever. I'll die. I barely pass like any math or any health class. <laughs> I don't even know where I am half the time. 
<laughs> Sorry, continue. <laughs> okay, next we're on to the lipstick gun. So according to the history of the net article, the KGM used a 4.5 millimeter gun mounted on a tube of a lipstick, which has been referred to as the kiss of death. Well, that's a very fun play on words. Specifically. Picked Revlon and probably like MAC Cosmetics or something. <laughs> the lipstick gun was reportedly used during the Cold War and its existence was first discovered in a border crossing in West Berlin. How it works is that you twist the bottom of the lipstick, which then fired one bullet. Oh. Then your ass did. If you had a good shot. Yeah, just I can't. <laughs> the next one we have is the spy shoe with a heel transmitter. So back to shoes. Oh. So once again, the KGB was up to just trying to create every everything possible of inanimate objects. So during the Cold War, they had essentially put a radio transmitter in the heel, hopefully hoping to record some conversations with anyone, I guess. But the radio was battery operated. I don't know how long it lasted, but as far as I know, this is actually a pretty common one in the Cold War. Really? Yeah. But other than that, that's all I found. I think yeah. I've seen that in at least a movie. Yeah. At least, at least a child's movie. Like at <laughs> least, you know, like Spy Kids. Yeah. For some reason, I'm thinking like Pink Panther. Inspector Gadget. Oh, yeah. I'm doing this. Do, 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 do. Inspector Gadget. Do, 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 do. I think Nick says 50 minute battery. That's actually not bad. You can get a good, you can get a lot of information. And he has a lipstick gun. And he has a lipstick gun. That's dope. Right? We all wish we were as cool as you, Nick. Yeah. I hope it's not one of these. This next one is the anal CIA kit. (laughs) Okay. He did mention that. (laughs) He talked about when you go to school for this, they have a whole class on like (laughs) package shit in the rectum. It is a valuable way to transport things. Yeah. Apparently. I wouldn't know. No. Never. No. No. What I can describe is a small travel toothbrush container. The toolkit seemed to include anything the spy would hopefully need on their mission, mostly various sharps. It would hopefully stay in the container in that area. The kit would be inserted into the spy's butt and then be released if captured and make an escape. (laughs) Yeah. That actually inspired the Bubba Sparks song, Miss New Booty. This is historically accurate, thousand percent fact. Jax, I, I spoke to Bubba the other day. He cleared the air. Miss New Booty was about the scanning. Christy hates me right now. She's like, please stop. Stop. <laughs> the corniest, the cheesiness. But <sighs> we're not done because we've got one last one. And this is the Bulgarian umbrella or the umbrella dart. Ooh. So it looks like a normal umbrella. Talks like a normal umbrella. <laughs> it's a deadly weapon. Deadly weapon. So the tip of the umbrella, which is obviously pointy, typically, was used to inject a small poison start into into it, and then you kind of opened it, and it would technically hit whoever you wanted to hit. Although I can't... It would fire, or just like you... I think, I think you'd... I think you'd stab stab you know you just you just <laughs> stab it stab <laughs> I think you'd stab it or it'd be like a dart where I don't know I didn't really look into it that deep okay I'm I'm gonna go with option a stab stab so like you'd open it the dart would open then you kind of like shafted somebody into it or you just open it and it would release yeah choose your own adventure uh, according, 
<laughs> to the History on the Net article on September 7th, 1978, a Bulgar Bulgarian journalist named Grigory Markov was stabbed using said umbrella. And unfortunately, he would succumb to the stabbing by the umbrella. So he died because he got stabbed, stabbed by the umbrella. Oh, can you imagine being that the way you go? Yeah, it's the way you go. And to this day, uh -oh. I don't think the person who killed him has ever been discovered or identified. Ooh. So that's all the gadgets we brought to the table. That was incredible. I have seen The Umbrella in a movie. That one with Colin Firth where he's a spy. I can't remember what it's called. Golden something. Oh, but, uh, but his umbrella had a gun in it, too. But yeah, I have seen that in the movies. Nice. I can't imagine why they don't have more of the butt stuff in movies. Well, I know. It's a selling feature. And the kids have thought, it, like, we have to educate people, right? It's part of history. <laughs> Dirty-ass history. But <laughs> it is what it is. Hey, friends. So I recently got to travel back to Arkansas to see my family. I hadn't seen them in about a year and a half because of the pandemic. And I flew. And you know what I brought with me? My she's birdie. And she made it through TSA. No one batted an eye. If I had tried to go through TSA with literally anything else I have, like my mace and weapons, I'd be in jail. So I was actually really thrilled because I stayed at my sister's house and I liked to go for walks every day. So I was still able to go for a walk with my cheese birdie and feel safe in a neighborhood I did not know, but people I did not know. And my sister doesn't walk that neighborhood, so I didn't know if it was sketchy or not, but I felt super safe. She's birdie is a tiny little personal alarm, and she loud. She is as loud as the plane I flew in on. It also has a really bright strobe light, so if you're walking at night and something happens, or say, God forbid, get in an accident or something at night, and you just want to get as much attention drawn towards you as possible, it would be very helpful. Again, I can't stress enough how much I love my cheese birdie. I mention every time that I have been mugged. I do love going for walks, but I have a lot of anxiety and this does make me feel a little safer. Things like mace are a little unpredictable because there's a danger component of you accidentally spraying it towards the wind and then injuring yourself and it makes it harder to get away. So I like the cheese birdie is super simple. It's very easy to use. You can actually test it so you can pull the tab to make sure that you're like prepared because again, I have anxiety and I like to know that I can do it. So I've tested it out quite a few times and it's actually really fun. I just wanted to share with you that I went through TSA and I didn't get in trouble. <laughs> if you would like to check out She's Birdie, go to she'sbirdie.com. And if you would like to get 10% off, you can put in the code historical AF. Again, that's she'sbirdie.com. Coupon code historical AF. So I'm going to do random and my random word came from Nicholas in the comments. Ooh. And the word was Skynet. <laughs> oh, okay. So I chose not to go the obvious route with technology or futuristic dude ads my weird ass decided women ye old skynet because hear me out okay skynet is fictional you know by the way if you don't know it could probably happen it was a network of ai that becomes sentient and then wages war against humanity in the terminator usually people insert it into jokes about how our computers and our phones are listening to us they're always <laughs> listening always <laughs> but brace yourselves for this seamless transition you know how the government listened to you without technology? Through oh. your wives. So Skynet. That's how I'm making that. It's a okay. it's a reach, but I'm making the connection. Make the reach. Make it reach. <laughs> and 
do what you got to do. <laughs> I nailed it. So women in the binary sense of historical record made incredible spies for pretty shitty reasons, mostly okay. sexism, because while they were crafty and sneaky and intelligent and they can multitask, women are scientifically more likely to be able to multitask. And yeah. They can think on their feet and they can tap into different types of emotional tools. You know, all the things that make women's brains special, make them good spies. But the thing that made them really good spies is that people found them unassuming or mousy or quiet and non-threatening. All the sexist shit throughout history. Yeah. According to the female secret intelligence service officer known as Lisa, this prejudice and the idea that spying is a man's job is precisely why women make good ones. And that's also why there's so many women spies in history that we still don't know who they were because they were so good at it. (laughs) Exactly. People always say women can't keep secrets. It's like, I know shit from decades ago. You will never know. You will never know. You'll never know. There are women like the code breakers in World War II. Some yes. of them, they kept the seat. They didn't tell their husbands, their children, their grandchildren. And then later when they were 90, they're like, okay, you can tell people. And they're like, oh, yeah, I sunk a Nazi warship. It's the afternoon for me. Yeah, just this Gosh. one time I killed 800 Nazis. No big deal. <laughs> like, Grandma, you're a badass. You badass. So, It is essentially that old saying, you know, loose lips sink ships. And women took that seriously. And they just never talked about it. And that's why we are today still discovering more women throughout history that were excellent spies. So I am going to introduce you to a couple really badass women spies of the American Revolution. Love it. You're so right. I am really excited. And one of them was so good that we still don't know who she was. And they are just desperately trying to figure it out because she's really cool. We'll get into her. So the American Revolution, a.k.a. the U.S. War of Independence, a.k.a. the Revolutionary War, was an insurrection by American patriots in the 13 colonies to British rule, resulting in American independence. little really quick summary there. So, <laughs> as Canadians, we appreciate it because we don't learn that shit in school. Yeah. So a skirmish actually kicked off the armed conflict in 1775. And by the following summer, they were waging full scale war in 1776. The tiny document you may have heard of, the Declaration of Independence, was drafted and adopted on the 4th of July. Probably know that from Nicolas Cage. Actually, we learn most of our American history from Nick Cage. He is kind of our (laughs) go-to for American information. I love that. And I feel like that's a very acceptable way to learn. (laughs) Go steal the Declaration of Independence. Independence. (laughs) Oh, God, I love it so much. So the French enter the chat about 1778, and that helps turn the tide of the war. The British surrendered in Yorktown, Virginia in 1781, and the Americans effectively won their independence, but fighting wouldn't end formally until 1783. Fair. So if you've seen Hamilton, you've probably seen bits and pieces. I'm I'm getting the no, no. Dude, the closest thing to Hamilton is a really shitty, sketchy city about two hours away from us. And that's the closest relation we have to any Hamilton. Oh, this is amazing. I don't think I know anybody that hasn't watched Hamilton because, you know, America. So this next sentence is not for you because you have not seen Hamilton, but everybody else. So in the words of Hamilton, 
Americans were, quote, outgunned, outmanned, outnumbered, outplanned. And that's a song that George Washington sings in the when he's introduced because the Patriots were so outnumbered and they were just a bunch of people with guns hiding in the woods and it was not looking great. One of the things they had to their advantage is that they had a giant spy ring. <laughs> So everybody's like, the French saved it. But they also were super sneaky. And it's amazing. So according to the Central Intelligence, why did I say it that way? Central Intelligence Mm -hmm. Agency, CIA, quote, George Washington was more deeply involved in intelligence operations than any other American general in chief until Dwight Eisenhower in World War II. Okay. That's pretty fun. That's pretty Super secret spy shit. Intelligence gathering essentially helped shape Washington's military career. He learned to use this on-the-ground information from Native Americans and deserting French soldiers during the French and Indian War. He figured out pretty quickly that intelligence could make or break the whole shebang, and it was the difference between victory and death. Right. So when the Second Continental Congress chose Washington as commander-in-chief of the Continental Army in 1775, he wasted no time appointing a soldier named Thomas Knowlton to organize the war's first spy unit. They called them Knowlton's Rangers, and it was about 130 men, and they played a big part in the 1776 Battle of Harlem Heights in New York, and it scouted British advances. Unfortunately, he was killed in the skirmish that followed, but his place in history is pretty much cemented. And fun fact, the seal of the U.S. Army Intelligence Service bears a 1776 stamp that honors this unit. Huh. I I had to giggle because anytime I hear the word Rangers, my millennial mind goes to Power Rangers. And (laughs) that's all I pictured was Power Rangers, like 140 of them. Go, go, Power Rangers. So in November of 1778, and I forgot one of the sevens, Washington appointed Benjamin Talmadge, director of military intelligence, and he ordered him to construct a spy ring inside New York City, which was occupied by the British and would be for the duration of the war. Washington dubbed it the Culper Ring, which was a play on words of his home state of Virginia in the Culpeper County. Mm, So this network of men and women, both civilian and military, would become the most effective of any intelligence gathering operation on either side during the Revolutionary War. So pretty big deal. The British did have a few notable spies, but nothing compared to this ring. Nothing compared to the ring of the, what was it, Culpeper? Or uh, I already forgot shit. Culpepper is the county. Culpering. I just blame. Culpering. I swear I'm I'm smart. Yeah. <laughs> tomato, tomato. Right. Yeah. It's not a big deal. It's a huge part of American. Yeah. So spying is cool and all, but it's also scary as hell. I imagine yeah. everybody wasn't running for the chance to sign up to, you know, possibly get murdered, especially after what happened to Nathan Hale. And I can imagine it would give people pause because it was really widely known what happened. And if you don't know the name, which I imagine you don't, you've probably heard this quote, though. He was one of the first patriots that volunteered to spy on the British in Long Island, and he was captured and hanged. But before he died, witnesses reported that he uttered with his last breath, quote, I only regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. That's powerful shit. That is very deep. And I can't imagine there are any circumstances, no matter how patriotic I am, if I'm getting murdered, that being my last words. Absolutely <laughs> not. I would go out screaming, fuck murder. Yeah. No. Yes. It wouldn't yeah. be pretty. It would, yeah. it would not be it great. Not, 
I, it would not go well. That's where you bring out like the cyanide glasses, and you're just like, you know what? Gnaw on them. Start gnawing on them. I'll do it myself. You just <laughs> don't worry about it. Don't worry about. It. Don't worry yeah. about what I'm doing. Just yeah. yeah. From all accounts, they went in for an operation, and it drew a lot of attention. And so mm-hmm. they knew that they couldn't do this, and yeah. this made it very apparent that you had to recruit only the most trustworthy people. And you had to be super sneaky. So in order to safeguard the identity of spies, Talmadge utilized a number of protective measures. He gave everybody that was an informant pseudonyms and they had a numerical system to identify each other. So, for example, he was 721. George Washington was 711. (laughs) Do you have 711s in Canada? (laughs) You do. Anytime I see a 711 hot dog, I will think of George Washington. Non-sober nights going to 7-Eleven after going to the country bar. (laughs) I will now be reminded of George Washington. Yes. And cities had numbers too. So New York City was 727 and British were 72, etc. Okay. Okay. And even George Washington himself didn't know who the spies were. He was super involved in giving directives and handling spies and suggesting methods of spycraft. But he didn't know who anybody was. Typical man. (laughs) And on top of the numbering system, they had coded newspaper articles, ciphers, and they used invisible ink. Interesting. Yeah. Throughout the war, the Culper Ring made sketches of fortifications. They reported on ship arrivals and departures. They noted troop activities, their strength, positions, morale, and the status of all their supplies. Basically, everything you need to win a war, these people are collecting. And they obtained all this information by going about their daily activities rather than running special or unusual trips, which is what with David Hale. He was doing a special operation and got caught. (laughs) So now they're all like, I'm just doing my job, but I'm listening to everything. My ears are open. Yeah. (laughs) I'm focused. Yes. I've got it all. (laughs) And one of the ring's most important contributions to the war effort was the intelligence that saved the recently arrived French troops from potential Mm -hmm. disaster. Townsend learned that the British general Sir Henry Clinton was preparing some 8,000 troops to attack the French forces as soon as they arrived. And Mm -hmm. they'd been at sea for three months. So they're likely sick and tired and hungry and it would not have been great so if they had gotten off the boat and eight thousand men are there they probably would have been just pulverized oh yeah so they did receive a top secret confidential spy report and washington led his troops across why can't i talk across the hudson river and marched towards manhattan clinton heard about it and was like well shit we got to go back and go back to new york because that's what washington is so he just kind of forgot about the french and went to you know fuck up Washington. So it worked. 11. Yeah. Yeah. And it gave them, you know, some time to kind of recoup and rest. I can't imagine in those kind of boats being at sea for three months. As, yeah, I can't imagine them being, you know, like a Disney cruise. But yeah, not at all. No. And the French was under the command of Rochambeau with a, I just love that name. (laughs) It's just fun to say. Rochambeau. So now that we know a little bit about the war and the spy ring, let's dive into a couple of badass women. So the first one wasn't technically in the Culpa ring, but she's just too incredible not to include. Her name is Nancy Morgan Hart, and she was a Georgia frontiers woman. And 
just a majestic creature. There's a lot of folklore surrounding her because it's just so incredible. And I just love that. I hope someday to be so awesome in life that there's just legends. Some of them are so bananas, but they just yeah. keep being passed down by, by generation to generation. Exactly. Like, yeah, that I did me. that. That was me. Yeah. That's the goal. <laughs> so she was born Anne Morgan in either Pennsylvania or North Carolina around 1735. It's all fuzzy. And that's also really common with women in history. A lot of people don't write that down. Absolutely. <laughs> so she was said to be very imposing. She was redheaded. She grew to be six feet tall and was very muscular. So I am Ooh. six feet tall. So I'm already relating to her. I get it. People also say I'm imposing. <laughs> I make you feel like a tiny woodland creature. It's fine. Not my problem. Yeah. And she was hailed for her fearlessness. And local Cherokees actually called her Wahache, which was war woman. Lahache? Wahache? Wahache. Okay. Wa, like like Wah or Wahachi. My, my hillbilly wants to be like Wahachi, but I don't yeah. think that's right. <laughs> Fair. I, my my hillbilly ass was like Lahache. That just sounds offensive some to something. I don't know what. Oh. Sorry already. Yes. <laughs> so we'll just say war woman. And she might have yeah. been related to Daniel Boone, who was another famous okay. first person. And yeah. she had mad survival skills. She was a skilled herbalist, hunter. She was an excellent shot, despite being cross-eyed, which <laughs> yeah. I mean seems like it would be very hard to have a really good aim. Um, yeah. yeah. So just, I'm impressed. Like, yeah, even not having cross eyes, I can barely meet a target. So Dave. <laughs> she's already 10 steps ahead. <laughs> and so she got married at the late age of 36, which I hate that everybody said that because yeah. I'm 36 and I'm like, I'm not, bitch, I'm not old. Huh. So they actually settled along the Broad River in Wilkes County, Georgia, and she had six sons and two daughters. Wow. Totally. Man. A lot, a lot of children. So during the revolution, while her husband was away, Hart managed their farm, though she often snuck away to spy on the British, like one does. Casual. Tuesday afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. After Taco Tuesday, you go casually do your spy shit. Exactly. Leave the kids at home. Doesn't matter if they're like two or whatever. It's Yeah. <laughs> they're already working anyways. That's true. What? So from womenshistory.org, it says that she dressed as a man. She would enter British camps pretending to be, quote, unquote, feeble-minded to gain information. And then she would hand off all this information to the Patriots. And she also engaged in the war and may have been present at the Battle of Kettle Creek on February 14th, 1779. And by all accounts, they didn't ever really question that she wasn't a man. She, like I said, she was six feet and that was very uncommon for anybody really back then. And she also had scars on her face and she was just very oh, convincing. Wow. So the British thought she might be sus. So they tried to spy back and boy, did that backfire. So my favorite story about her is one time her daughter noticed that a Tory was spying through the hole and a Tory is a loyalist for British. Um, okay. forces so she notices somebody spying in their wall and she's like hey ma there's like an eyeball there so <laughs> she was making soap at the time and she threw a boiling ladle full of the soap through the crack what? into their eye oh, and then man. her and her kid tied him up and then just dragged him into town and him over to the patriots casual <laughs> yeah 
I just love that even the kid is all like, I got this. Let's let's tie him up. Yeah. We need we react as a team. Yeah. <laughs> the definition of family dynamic. Yes. And so the most famous thing that she is known for involved five or six British soldiers who killed the last turkey and demanded that she cook it for them. So everything we know about her by now should tell you that was a really bad idea. Wrong move, my guys. <laughs> Wrong fucking move. So she devised a plan to get them drunk on corn liquor, take their guns, and then hold them captive. So she sent her daughter to get some water and then sound an alarm to the neighbors, which was like a conch, conch, conch shell? I don't know. Words. Okay. And Word. they're getting drunk and they're eating and she's starting to sneak out all their guns through a hole in the wall while they're drinking, like right in front of them. It's like a cartoon. <laughs> Stop. No way. <laughs> and then she gets caught holding one and they're like, oh no. So then they lunge at her and she ends up shooting them. <laughs> She killed one, the one that rushed her, wounded another, and the rest surrendered. Fair. Fair. <laughs> when, her, when her husband returned, she was holding them at gunpoint, which can't you imagine him? He's like off to war. Be like, I'm going home with my wifey. And then be like, what happened? What, what incarnation is happening here, here Nancy? Where did you get all of these men? Yeah, he must not have been too shocked because then him and the neighbors got together and they hanged the soldiers in a nearby tree. And this was where the legend, people like, did this really happen? But in 1912, six bodies were found at this spot. So they think that that kind of solidifies that this actually happened. I bet it's haunted. Oh, I bet so too. That tree is super haunted. Thousand percent. There's no way it can't be. Absolutely. So next up, we have Anna Smith Strong. She was the first spy operating under the Culper Ring. She was known for her fierce patriotism, fearlessness, and brilliant ingenuity. Oh my God, she's smart. (laughs) I she's a smart cookie. (laughs) I swear I'm smart. She was also well-connected within the upper class of New York and utilized a farmstead in Long Island to transfer information. She was also a mom to nine children. That seems excessive. What is with... I mean, I guess if you had nothing better to do, like Netflix... Yeah. And she had a farmstead, so that was normal to have lots of kids to help around. But that just seems like... How do you have time to be a, a spy when you have nine kids? You can barely do a pod like it, it's so hard to do a, a side hustle or a podcast or anything with a full time yeah. job. Yeah, I'm just a dog mom and I still have trouble finding time for things. Oh, we're cat mothers here, and it, <laughs> half the time we're like, "Oh my gosh, how can we deal this with a child?" Like something that actually <laughs> talks back. And yeah. she was married to a leading patriot judge, and that made them a target for British spies. In 1778, her husband, Judge Sela Strong, was arrested and confined on a British prison ship in Jersey. It was supposedly for corresponding with the enemy, and it was horrible conditions. And she eventually got permission to give him food, which by all accounts saved his life. And then she also had that rich family that were Tories, so they helped the British, and she got them to parole him. But he wasn't able to stay there. And their house was taken over by the army and her husband fled to Connecticut that was still in the Patriot hands, but she refused to leave. So she stayed in some of the slave cabins outside of where the army was. Huh. Interesting. That's a move. Yeah. And most of the spies in the Culper Ring were actually her childhood friends and she knew she could trust them and they knew they could trust her. 
So her immediate danger was keeping the British away from her enough to do the work, but like also not be suspicious because they're going to be because she's already helped her husband get out of jail. So the bravery to already be on their list of people to suspect and be like, no, I'm still going to be a spy. I got this. Just kidding. I'm still back on my bullshit. (laughs) About once a week, a spy would go to New York City to dig up dirt on the British troops. And then they would go hide a message in a wooden box buried in her friend's Abraham Woodhull's farm, which was across the bay from her. So he was, by the way, one of the leading members of the spy ring. So probably second in command. Meanwhile, she waited for another spy named Caleb Brewster, who had been a whaleboat captain. He was really good at slipping past the Brits and the ships. And so he would come in and hide in a cove and she would find out where he was. And then she would be like, I need to do some laundry. And as soon as she found him, she would hang a black petticoat outside, which meant that he was there. And then she would hang handkerchiefs next to it. And they had numbered all the coves. So if she had three handkerchiefs. It meant he was here and he was in cove three. Oh, interesting. That's so smart. And she came up with that system herself. And it's brilliant because if they were just going to search every cove, that takes time. But also it's going to make you suspicious because be like, who are you looking for? Why are you at all these ports? Wow. Huh. Brilliant. So smart. Abraham kept a close watch on her laundry. So he knew exactly how to find him. And then he would take the box to him and then he would sail to New York and give it to the spy master general. Right. Huh. And it it was just crucial to this whole spy ring. So I just find it really cool. So after the war ended, she was reunited with her husband and her kids and they moved back into their family house. Years later, she had the honor of meeting general Washington. She helped risk her life to make America. Aww. You know, just that little casual. My boys are going to bark here for a second. It's dinner time and my little fatty boxer gets really excited. <laughs> so today she's actually recognized as one of the first women of American cryptology. And she's recognized by the NSA. So that's pretty oh, cool. That's pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Next up, we have Lydia Dara. I think I'm saying that right. So officers of the British forces occupying Philadelphia used large upstairs rooms of her house for conferences. And when they were in there, she would sneak into a closet and take notes. (laughs) Thin walls. (laughs) That's like the equivalent of like looking through your partner's phone. I feel like. Yeah. You know, (laughs) she just in the closet, taking notes, taking notes. And then she passed to her husband, William, and he would transcribe them into short form. And he would make little tiny slips of paper and then she would place them in a button mold and then cover it with fabric and sew it onto the shirt of her kid. And he was a teenager. And then she would send him off to go see his older brother, who was lieutenant. And then they would pass all the information that way. This is a very elaborate plan. What? It is. It's crazy. (laughs) So then the older brother would just snip the button off and read it and he would transcribe it into notes and then hand it to the officers. Okay. So if there's anyone listening who's waiting for a text back from someone after a couple of days, (laughs) give up. They had their opportunity. If there's people that existed like this, that (laughs) did this like intensive planning, you need like, yes. You know what I mean? Like, oh my gosh, that's pretty. That's insane. It is. And it's brilliant. It was the whole family too, which I 
I think there was one source that was like she put her whole family in danger, and I'm like, like they weren't all into it. Like, okay, danger. Yeah, family bonding. Okay, you're gonna blame the only woman in this story when her husband is also helping and both sons. But okay, exactly. Okay, Mm -hmm. for shame. Whatever source that was that I don't remember. So finally, we have Agent 355, who is one of the most mysterious figures of the American Revolution. And even today, we don't know who she is. And we're trying so hard to find out her identity. She was most likely posted in New York City. And she wrote letters in invisible ink filled with essential intelligence. She would fold it, prepare it, and send it on a journey to the Washington office. And despite being known as only Agent 355 or the lady, we do know that she was just pivotal and some of the biggest operations that happened during the war, like Benedict Arnold's treason. Stop it. Yes. It, oh, oh my God. Lot. I'm so excited to tell you about this. So <laughs> she was also responsible for the arrest of Major John Andre, and he was the leader of British intelligence in New York. Wow. And by all accounts, Andre was super hot and dashing and all the ladies were swooning and he knew it. He was one of those guys like, look at me. I'm hot and powerful. Come flirt with me. Was he, (laughs) was he like Joe Biden hot though? (laughs) I was just wondering. Asking for a friend. I don't know. Was he Joe Biden hot or was he Jill Biden hot? Ooh. We'll (laughs) say a combination of both. Okay. Un- unstoppable. <laughs> unstoppable. Oof. So he'd get really flirty and start okay. spilling the tea, as the young people say. And she took advantage of this. So she had to have, in my opinion, there's a lot of theories and we'll get into them. But it seems to me like she was probably of a high, higher class, possibly a Tory family. And mm-hmm. she was probably one of those hot girls that was like, oh, tell me more. Tell me more about your day. What happened then? And just flirting while he's getting drunk and just making him tell more and more things. That sounds most likely to me. I mean, I'm here. Spill all secrets. It's yeah. Here for it. Yeah. A hot girl summer, if you will. Just yes. And again, nobody is going to suspect a woman. So they're no. telling them things they should not be telling them. Exactly. And she's taking all these mental notes and be like, you're going down, buddy. <laughs> Got you. Yeah. Uh, can you imagine keeping your composure like the second he said something and like really fucked up? She'd be like, oh, yeah. you're so dead. No, absolutely not. I'd be like, wait a minute. Can you say that slower? Let me <laughs> pull up my notepad. I'm just taking down. I'm just, I have this really thing, this really important thing I have to remember. So I'm going to write it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm, great. Cool. Thank you. One of these parties that she got wind of a British plan to gain West Point by subversion. And West Point was important strategically because it fortified the Hudson River. And whoever held West Point held the Hudson River Valley. Mm -hmm. Super big deal. Andre was actively searching for a way to help his British bosses. And he struck gold with Peggy Shippen, who was, as some call, a gold digger. (laughs) She'd become very accustomed to this fancy high life she'd been living with her hubs. And she wanted to keep that shit up. And who was her husband, you may ask? It was Benedict Arnold. And he was also getting a little frustrated because he wasn't as famous and as rich as he thought he was going to be. He just mm-hmm. thought people were going to be throwing all this attention at him because he was, thought he was a bigger deal than he was. I mean, and, typically bad. <sighs> yes, very, uh, very big ego. And I'm sure it didn't take much for his wife to kind of nudge him and 
the direction of, you know, turning coats and becoming a traitor. So she's like, hey, I know this guy, that hot dude from the party, Andre. You should go talk to him. Andre offered him 20,000 pounds to hand over West Point without a shot. And that's over 3.4 million pounds today and $4.7 million in US dollars. Holy. That's a lot of money. And for two people that want that cash money, they're like, hell yeah, I'm going to do that. I mean, sign me up. Where do I sign? You could definitely Scrooge McDuck swim through all that. That's so much money. thousand percent. Once again, sign me up. And so our spy agent 355 was like, not today, you traitorous douche canoe. And (laughs) turned his ass in. And he was caught with passes signed by Arnold and all the plans to take West Point at Terrytown, New York. So he was hung as being a spy on Washington's orders and Arnold got away. He scurried off to England, but West Point was kept out of the hands of the British. And that was a huge also factor in us winning the war. Right. So Kenna Howitt, Howitt, a historian at the National Women's History Museum, says her Quote, wartime contributions are largely undisputed, noting that Woodhull wrote that Agent 355 hath been ever serviceable to this correspondence and she could outwit them all. So everybody knows she existed. Everybody knows she was crucial. So even though we don't know who she is, it doesn't take away from the fact that she was a complete badass. Exactly. Exactly. I wonder if there's some documentation somewhere. It's just a matter of finding it. That's what I'm hoping because a lot of it. All of them were numbered, and it wasn't until much later that people found out who any of them were. And a lot of it was private correspondence that was hidden, and family finally showed it. So in his book, Covert Operations Management, Robert Almonte says that 355 was one of the Culper Ring spies who had the most success. And said after her service ended, the ring basically fizzled out. Like after she was out, everything else kind of collapsed. So she... Kind of the backbone. I mean, they're not saying she was, but it kind of sounds like it. <laughs> yeah, it's like she was kind of the party planner, and once she backed out, there's no party. There's no party. <laughs> yeah. You speculate wildly that everything just crumbled without her. Fair enough. Was that that it, sounds pretty woman-associated, you know what I mean? Yeah. And there's a lot of theories about who she may be. Some say that she might have been a prominent Tory or a loyalist family. And that would have granted her the ability to move through high society and mingle with all these political and military leaders. And that sounds really feasible to me. Yeah, Yeah, very true. It would also make her invisible because she would be a fancy lady and she'd be learning how to sew and make tea and do whatever fancy ladies do. Nobody would have suspected her. Yeah, no one. They'd be like, oh, she's occupied with her parties and white stuff. Meanwhile, she's like, do what I want. I'm going to go do my spy. Like, I'm on my spy shit. But no one would ever guess because when you have Sona, it's like... Of course not. You can't put that together. You can't You can't do that. You're just a, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what's yeah. hilarious is a lot of these high society women were incredibly educated, but nobody ever oh. thought twice about an educated woman. So the historian I mentioned above made a great point saying that keeping her identity so secret may have been a calculated and necessary mm. risk to protect her in the aftermath of the Revolutionary War. Because if she right. was... A loyalist family, and then you know the Brits lost. Maybe she would have been in danger. So that yeah. makes some sense to me too. Sense. And some other people suggest maybe she was a maid in these 
houses too. And okay. I kind of get it because we're like, well, you know, you wouldn't be suspicious if you're dusting their papers on their desk or something. But yeah. I don't know. It just seems more fun to me that she is the one flirting with Andre being like, tell me your secrets instead of just being the maid behind them being like, I'm listening. Yeah, like I'm, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm just eavesdropping. Would they really lock down her identity so ironclad for a maid? Classism is so big always in history i just can't imagine them being so careful for somebody that was below them in class well and even like i picture like someone of working class or whatever like a maid of sorts and trying to talk to someone of that stature Mm -hmm. even or you know what i mean and i just Mm -hmm. i can't see it maybe yeah me either i think she would have been more invisible as a somebody working there but i think yeah I don't know. I just, I like the thought that she was a loyalist being like, fuck you, family. Taking yeah. y'all down. And George Washington's Secret Six, the spy ring that saved the American Revolution. Brian Kilmeade also takes a stab at her identity. He thinks it's possible that she was Anna Smith Strong, the laundry Whoa. code. Okay. And, you know, that's kind of an interesting theory. But that kind of stems because 355 meant the lady. So they're like, well, what if he just meant that other lady spy? But then that's kind of taken away that there were multiple women involved. Yeah. It kind of diminishes that whole aspect. Yeah. Yeah. Not. mm, No, you don't do that. No. And then there's another theory that Robert Townsend, he was another operative of the spy ring. There was these rumors that he had this common law wife and that he was in love with her. And so people were like, well, maybe she was the spy. But mm. that one's more of a legend that kind of goes down here in a little bit. But right. there's some other women like Betty Floyd, Elizabeth Bruggen, Sarah Townsend, which was his sister, and then Mary Underhill. All of them are connected to the ring, but people don't know. <laughs> They're just yeah. throwing names. Somebody- there could be this person. It could be that person. And someone's probably like, okay. But where's the proof? And Yeah. There's a show, and I didn't know it existed, but it's called Washington Spies. And on that show, they theorized that she was an enslaved woman named Abigail that worked for the clothesline spy. But there's literally no evidence. This is just a fictional TV show. Right. No evidence at all. So that's also not likely. Fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's also been suggested that maybe this agent was actually more than one person because, like I said, that code was a generic number for lady. I like to think it's one person because everybody else eventually got named. So why uh, wouldn't yeah. this one number not get named? Yeah, I, I like the idea that it's p- potentially one person. They came from like mm-hmm. an upper class family. Like they got away with it because no one suspected because of all the probably high class society shit they had to do, so to speak. Right? Oh, yeah. So. I'm absolutely envisioning her as like a Schuler sister from Hamilton. <laughs> like, this is just exactly I think what I'm thinking. In the comments, too. I'm all for one person. Yep. Yeah. Oh, Dion said it. I didn't see yeah. that. We share a brain, Dion. <laughs> Some suggest that it was just a random woman that gave intelligence, but that's really kind of, again, diminishing the role that this person played in the war. It seems through some rumors that Agent 355 met her untimely end in 1780 when she was finally captured by the British and died on a prison ship. It was Mm -hmm. the HMS Jersey from severe maltreatment. And there's a lot of conspiracy theories that she was pregnant with that Robert guy's love child and then gave birth to this child on the ship right as she died 
the historians were like, there's literally no proof. Stop saying that, please. And nobody could remain pregnant in such terrible conditions. It's just not physically possible. She wasn't getting food or water and all that stuff. So no evidence. I mean, the only thing that's slightly interesting is that he did have a kid named Robert Townsend Jr. And he became a lawyer. And one of his pet projects was the Prison Ship Martyrs Memorial Fund. And he created a giant sculpture memorial for the people that died on those ships. So people are like, oh, it's the proof. It's his mom. But literally every historian and genealogist is like, we cannot find any link whatsoever. Wow. That's bananas like it's just i don't even know i don't even know how to respond other than that's <laughs> it sounds fiction almost like a really dramatic old-timey novel but yeah, no, almost, like just... a sto- almost like a story that you're forced to read in high school and you're, at the time you're like oh yeah you know whatever and then after it like really clicks you're like mm-hmm. so regardless of who this person was her legacy lives on like all covert government agents her Being anonymous doesn't take away from her contribution, and many believe that Agent 355 represents all covert agents whose true identities are never revealed. Their stories are never told, but their contributions and sacrifices will live on for their country. They may never be truly acknowledged by history, but they all deserve recognition. The end. A thousand percent agreed. That's very true. Holy shit. That was a roller coaster. (laughs) Right? I just, I love it. Just love the idea and it happens so often that maybe someday somebody will find like a box of letters and a floorboard somewhere and it will say her name and that will be so cool that'd be so sweet or in some office of some weird random you know what i mean just like some in some family someone knows something yeah and it happens all the time i I just covered the history of bras and there was a bra found in a floorboard in a castle and it's proof that the design of the bra we use today was used in the middle ages and everybody thought this was designed in the 19th 20th century so i mean things like this happen and we discover something in the weirdest places and it changes history so exactly I think it'd be cool that, I mean, I also just love that everybody gives her credit. We might not know who she is, but we all know what she did and yeah, exactly contributed. Cause important. Exactly. I mean, if she hadn't take down, she took down Benedict Arnold without that, where would we be? You know, we, we'd all be British probably still. Yeah, very <laughs> true. Very different. Uh, United States of America. Than yeah. I'm assuming. I know they have that movie, like, what if the Nazis had won what the U.S. would be like? I wonder Ooh. if there's any books or movies about what the U.S. would be like if we lost the revolution. Some, somebody has to have made it. Like, there's yeah. no way. And if not, patent pending, TNT. <laughs> yeah. Let's make our fortune. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for joining me. This has been so much it. fun. Yeah, I feel, having us. feel like your best friends now. Oh, can't wait off. for you to can't <laughs> wait for you guys to come visit me. <laughs> yeah, and likewise, if you ever come up to Ontario, don't know why you would, but if you do, <laughs> let us know. We'd love to take you out for dinner or something, and like oh. some great Canadian stuffy. That'd be incredible. We're like half a world away. Like yeah. I'm in almost Mexico, but it'd be amazing. Yes. And fun. before we go, let everybody know how they can find your podcast. Well, you can find us on, we are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Good Pods. Uh, if you want to check us out on Twitter, we're at Weird Distract I1. 
Instagram at Weird Distractions Pod. Mm -hmm. And we are currently collecting listener stories. Just a little hot take, a little self plug. Uh, (laughs) If you have any uh, weird encounters of paranormal, true crime, conspiracy theories, I mean, yeah, we don't want to really talk about flat earth so please don't send us that um, <laughs> there is a line you there's a line and, and nothing pending in court because we are not lawyers nor do we have <laughs> lawyers so keep yeah to yourself keep that keep that shit to yourself but you can email us at weird distractions podcast outlook.com we'd love to hear from you and once again thank you so much for having us this yes. was so much fun <laughs> You guys are welcome. I want to thank my guest, Weird Distractions Podcast, again for joining me. I had such an incredible time. Thank you so much for joining me and chatting about spies. And I also just can't wait to visit you in Canada and experience Letter Kenny firsthand. Also, if you want to come check out all the scary things in Texas, I will volunteer as tribute because I am always up for a haunted road trip. If you'd like to watch this full episode unedited, full of deleted scenes and bloopers, you can go to Patreon. That is patreon.com slash historicalafpod. You can watch all the episodes that have already happened, and you can watch all future episodes live. And not only do you watch live, you can chat along with us. You can talk to guests. You can ask questions. You can crack jokes. Y'all are funny. I sometimes feel bad about myself because you guys come up with funnier content than I do so really seems like you guys should be on air not me but (laughs) enough of that existential spiral patreon also gets access to a discord server facebook chat you get merch letters in the mail you get opportunities to guest on the podcast you can get extra content there's extra episodes the higher you go the more stuff you get so definitely check that out that's patreon.com slash historical af pod and like i mentioned in this episode my husband and i do want to start doing a video segment where we go to haunted places and make a video a la ghost hunters you know whatever and that will be a goal when we hit a certain part of patreon so keep an eye out for that if you'd like to check out some merch that is shop.spreadshirt.com slash historical af pod and keep an eye out because on the 8th of june everything is going to be 15 percent off for a couple of days and i will put all of that up on the social media which is historical af pod across the board facebook twitter instagram and every time we have a sale i put it up on there to remind you I'm running really low on listeners' emails, and I could definitely use your stories for the next extra AF. So if you have a cool family history, you live in a town that has a cool haunted place or legend or something really badass happened there, please send us an email. Honestly, there's literally no limit to what I will geek out to. Honestly, I I want to hear your stories. And that is historicalafpod at gmail.com. All right, I feel like I'm forgetting something, but we're going to just leave it there. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next week. I am joined by Spooky Science Sisters to kick off the space history theme. Okay, bye!